Section 49 of A Failure of Initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. A Failure of Initiative. Final Report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to Investigate the Preparation for and Response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives. Logistics and Contracting, Part 3. Oversight and Proposed Reforms to Address Outstanding Issues. Although some emergency awards were made on a sole source basis, they do not constitute the majority of those awarded in support of the relief efforts. Nevertheless, FEMA recognized the need to revisit non-competitive contracts issued quickly immediately after the storm. Shortly after emergency needs arose, DHS's Chief Procurement Officer, CPO, requested the OIG to begin overseeing FEMA's acquisition process. The DHS-IG assigned 60 auditors, investigators, and inspectors, and hired additional oversight personnel. DHS-IG staff reviewed the award and administration of all major contracts, including those awarded in the initial efforts, and the implementation of the expanded use of government purchase cards. The staff are continuing to monitor all contracting activities as the government develops its requirements and as the selection and award process unfolds. In addition, 13 different agency OIGs have committed hundreds of professionals to the combined oversight effort, with a significant part of the oversight provided by DOD, the various service audit agencies, and criminal investigative organizations. To ensure that any payments made to contractors are proper and reasonable, FEMA has engaged the Defense Contract Audit Agency, DCAA, to help it monitor and oversee payments made, and has pledged not to pay on any vouchers until each one is first audited and cleared. In addition, DHS's CPO met with each of the large Katrina contractors to impress upon them the need to ensure all charges are contractually allowable, fair, and reasonable. Finally, the GAO has sent a team to the Gulf Coast area to provide an overall accounting of funds across the government and evaluate what worked well and what went wrong at the federal, state, and local levels. FEMA has indicated it will revisit non-competitive arrangements made immediately after the storm. In addition, on September 16th, FEMA instituted its Phase Two plan. Under this arrangement, competitive procurements for relief efforts will be reconstituted and revitalized. DHS officials indicated FEMA would formalize the original emergency agreements to establish clearly the terms and prices, and then review all the requirements and decide whether any particular contract needs to be completed in the short term. If there is a continuing need for the requirement, the initial contract will be left in place only long enough for a competition to be held. The competitively awarded contracts will then replace the original arrangement. FEMA officials plan to ensure as much of the work as possible goes to small local firms. Procurement officials acknowledge the initial contracting response was poor, 
with little planning and inadequate resources. However, these same officials stated the procurement system had sufficient flexibility to meet the challenge posed by Katrina. Finding Before Katrina, FEMA suffered from a lack of sufficiently trained procurement professionals. DHS procurement continues to be decentralized and lacking a uniform approach, and its procurement office was understaffed given the volume and dollar value of the work. FEMA's grossly understaffed acquisition unit was not ready for the Katrina disaster. FEMA had 55 acquisition slots, and procurement officials think it should have had a minimum of 172. Further, only 36 of the 55 slots were actually occupied. FEMA is one of the DHS agencies that are not under the control of the DHS Chief Procurement Officer. Thus, FEMA Acquisition Office reported to Michael Brown. As of the time of the interview, FEMA was relying upon staff from the Central Acquisition Office, comprised of 60 acquisition personnel, and led by a member of the Senior Executive Service. Regardless, the office was understaffed. Prior to Hurricane Katrina, the OIG had repeatedly cited as a major challenge the lack of consistent contract management for large, complex, high-cost procurement programs. DHS procurement continues to be decentralized and lacking a uniform approach. DHS has seven legacy procurement offices that continue to serve DHS components, including FEMA. Notably, FEMA has not been reporting or tracking procurements undertaken by its disaster field offices, and its procurement office remains understaffed, given the volume and dollar value of work. The CPO recently had established an eighth office, called the Office of Procurement Operations, to meet the procurement needs of the rest of DHS. Louisiana officials also noted a shift, during the Katrina recovery, of the personnel FEMA placed in charge of contracting and logistical decisions. Instead of relying on FEMA's regional personnel, with whom the state is accustomed to working in the aftermath of a disaster, FEMA sent headquarters officials to the affected areas to make key contracting and logistical decisions, causing the process to become more bureaucratic. For example, adding individuals to FEMA's individual assistance program has been problematic, according to local officials. In the past, the FCO from Region 6 was able to add individuals in the field. With Katrina, however, state officials had to send the request to FEMA headquarters, which has become, some say, gridlocked. Further, as previously mentioned, Louisiana state and local officials also criticized FEMA contracting. They said the focus seems to be shifting from the local FCO to FEMA headquarters and becoming more bureaucratic in the process. Finding Ambiguous statutory guidance regarding local contractor participation led to ongoing disputes over procuring debris removal and other services. Under the Stafford Act, federal contracts with private firms for debris clearance, distribution of supplies, reconstruction, and other activities must give preference to the extent feasible and practicable 
to organizations, firms, and individuals from the area affected by the disaster or emergency. However, there is no statutory guarantee that after a major disaster or emergency, recovery and reconstruction work will be awarded to businesses, organizations, and individuals, regardless of where they are from. The award of federal contracts for disaster or emergency assistance activities are, in general, governed by the standard competitive bidding statutes that apply to all government contracting activities. The Stafford Act, however, contains a local preference provision, which can be implemented by the inclusion in a solicitation of a clause creating a price preference for local firms, or by a set-aside that only permits local firms to compete. The implementation is at the discretion of the contracting officer. Significantly, the Stafford Act local preference is not a guarantee that local firms will be awarded recovery contracts. Similarly, prime contractors are often required to give preference to local subcontractors. USACE Acting Principal Assistant Responsible for Contracting, Colonel Norbert Doyle, suggested there is some uncertainty as to the geographical preferences allowed and required by the Stafford Act. Another official testified that different laws are necessary, and stated the Stafford Act is like bringing a donkey to the Kentucky Derby. Numerous public officials have complained about the small number of local firms given relief contracts, particularly with regard to debris removal, Ash Britt, the Florida-based prime contractor for debris removal in Mississippi, was awarded a contract in early September by USACE. According to Ash Britt official Randy Perkins, the company was one of 22 firms that bid for USACE debris removal contracts. Ash Britt won the Louisiana and Mississippi debris removal contracts, making the firm the only contractor for that job in those states. Ash Britt was notified of the award 72 hours after the RFP was advertised. The debris removal contracts have a $150 million ceiling at $30 million per year, and were intended by USACE to get work underway as soon as possible, with the agency reassessing the requests later. USACE's delay in issuing RFPs was understandable given the disaster, according to Perkins. He stated, It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep pre-existing contracts in place, and firms receive no funding for this upkeep, which represents a free insurance policy for USACE, and few companies can secure the bond necessary to perform such a large-scale project. Ashbritt official Perkins says he encountered political fallout from local officials because the company is not based in Mississippi or Louisiana. The select committee was not able to substantiate his allegation, however. Perkins also discussed receiving mixed messages from local officials and officials in D.C. While state officials told him, just get the debris out, he indicated officials in D.C. sent the message to hire local workers. Although the company's contract with the government does not require it to hire local workers, Perkins says local contractors receive 80% of Ashbritt's payments to subcontractors. 
Although this percentage seems to differ from data provided in USACE progress reports, the Select Committee was not able to substantiate the actual level of debris removal work provided by the local subcontracting community. Brown suggested the scale of the disaster and the complexity of the response require a large firm's expertise. Debris is a huge issue. Debris is one of those issues that is fraught with local politics. It's fraught with fraud, waste, and abuse. And in cleaning up debris in a situation like Katrina, you really have to have experts overseeing that global perspective, because you have hazardous waste. You have the whole issue of private property versus public property. So I would caution us about going down a path that says we're going to have all locals do it. I know in my subdivision the local garbage folks are very adept at picking up my trash twice a week, and they're pretty good about hauling out debris after a storm or something. But in the kind of debris removal we're talking about in Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida from last year and this year, you really need to have a substantial company overseeing that, not only to protect the taxpayers, but to make sure it's done right. Later, Brown said, in a small town that's hit by a tornado and you have to clean up 45 blocks, city blocks, that's one thing. Here, where you're cleaning up entire cities, it's a different issue. So I would just caution that we approach that systematically. Even if this point is conceded, it appears that, despite the Stafford Act's preference provision, only a fraction of the money being spent in Mississippi is going to subcontractors based there, according to press reports citing documents from FEMA and USACE. Of approximately $3.1 billion FEMA had awarded by November 4th, only $52.4 million, or about 1.7%, had gone to Mississippi firms. Of the $476 million that has been spent by the Corps of Engineers in Mississippi as of November 2nd, about 28.5% has gone to Mississippi companies through direct contracts and subcontracts. Of the $164 million Ashbrit has been paid so far by the Corps, only about $30 million, about 18%, has made it to Mississippi subcontractors. However, Perkins said Ashbrit has far exceeded its contractual requirements for hiring local, small, and minority-owned businesses. People don't understand that the general administrative costs are very high. It takes a lot to manage one of these projects, according to Perkins. We have a tremendous amount of quality control people and logistical support, and we need to pay for their housing. He said the data released by USACE do not reflect the involvement of Mississippi businesses, because there are several major contractors from the state that he called team members who are helping the company administer the overall contract. He said Ashbrit also has provided hundreds of administrative jobs to Mississippians. Use of local firms. Some have suggested FEMA's policies need to be changed to have local contractors in Gulf states ready to begin recovery work well before hurricane season. For instance, instead of hiring the USACE to manage debris removal, states susceptible to hurricanes could prepare lists of businesses who meet federal standards to remove debris or haul trailers 
thereby enabling local governments to award their own contracts. Local governments are more likely to go with local contractors, and local governments have been able to get the job done more quickly and cheaply. As of December 2005, of the nearly $8 billion expended by all direct contracts with the federal government, only five cents of every dollar reached Mississippi prime contractors. Expenditure rates show DHS, including FEMA, has spent $4,150,359,361, with 3.5 cents for every dollar contracted directly to Mississippi businesses. A January 23, 2006 USACE report reported USACE awarded over $2.3 billion in Katrina contracts, with 3.54% of total contract dollars going to Mississippi businesses. Representative Pickering noted, Congress wrote the Stafford Act to maximize the impact of federal dollars by giving preference to local contractors, strengthening the damaged economy, and providing jobs to communities and victims of the disaster. Mississippians have the ability, capacity, and personal incentive to do this work. We want to rebuild and restore our home state, and these federal contracts will help our economy more through local contractors than sending the money to out-of-state corporations. Current federal policy discourages local governments from assuming responsibility for debris removal. Local officials are responsible for a cost share of 10 to 25 percent, depending on the magnitude of the disaster, if they use their own contracts. However, if USACE contractors are used, the reimbursement for the life of the debris removal effort is 100% with no cost share. Communities removing their own debris have been notified they will incur a 10% cost share beginning March 16, 2006. Additionally, the specter of a federal audit can be very intimidating for local officials, especially for rural communities and those that have incurred major damage. Risk can be avoided by simply signing on with USACE, even if it is more costly and offers less control. For example, USACE is removing debris in Waveland, Mississippi, and other locations at a reported cost of approximately $23 per cubic yard. Nearby Gulfport hired its own contractor at $14.95 per cubic yard, and appears to be making faster progress. Gulfport's action is particularly bold, given their significant loss of ad valorem tax base. Finally, the $8.05 per cubic yard margin is particularly substantial, given the 40 million cubic yard debris removal requirement in Mississippi alone. Ambiguities regarding the implementation of local contractor preference under the Stafford Act should be resolved. In addition, clear, unambiguous remedies and penalties for failure to meet such statutorily mandated preferences may need to be considered. FEMA Response to Local Participation Issue In response to these concerns, FEMA plans a two-pronged approach. First, FEMA will competitively award multiple five-year technical assistance contracts to small disadvantaged businesses for recovery work in the Gulf states, 
with evaluation preferences keyed to the location of both the prime contractor and subcontractors in the affected areas. Second, FEMA plans a full and open competition for multiple five-year contracts to provide technical assistance support on a national basis for disaster response and recovery. Under this competition, FEMA will require that these prime contractors meet significant small business subcontracting goals, including the preference for local businesses as provided under the Stafford Act. Through this strategy, FEMA hopes to provide a diverse group of companies the opportunity to contract with FEMA for the Gulf Coast hurricane recovery by adding prime contracting opportunities for small disadvantaged businesses with a geographic preference for those located in the Gulf states. The national competition approach is intended to preserve subcontracting goals and opportunities for small and disadvantaged businesses as part of all prime contracts for future disasters. Both strategies will emphasize the importance of using local businesses, a critical piece of a successful economic recovery in a disaster-ravaged area. Select committee staff did not receive detailed information on what efforts, if any, USACE is planning for its long-term Katrina-related acquisitions. In addition, DHS Representative Larry Orlusky said FEMA is changing some of its policies. Recently, FEMA announced it will set aside $1.5 billion under 15 contracts worth up to $100 million apiece. Acting FEMA Director David Paulison stated that priority would be given to local contractors on the five-year contracts for trailer maintenance. Orlusky also cited the rebidding of several large prime contracts as evidence that the agency is trying to be as transparent as possible in its contracting process. Regarding the $100 million contracts held by Bechtel, Fleur, Shaw, and CH2M Hill, agency officials said the requests have been completed and will be awarded again in February 2006. Nevertheless, Carwile testified, the public assistance program provided under Section 406 of the Stafford Act is far too cumbersome and time-consuming in terms of getting funds through the states down to the impacted communities, and could be totally revamped. He said the program is one of the most difficult and contentious aspects of disaster recovery, and the entire issue of federal reimbursement for debris removal should be addressed in a comprehensive manner. Finding. Attracting emergency contractors and corporate support could prove challenging, given the scrutiny that companies have endured. When federal agency resources were overwhelmed and existing contractors unable to meet the huge demands created by the storm, federal officials turned to the private sector for assistance. In an effort to meet pressing needs by any means possible, federal officials looked to alternative sources for food, transportation, and housing. Many of the firms approached by agency officials had never contracted previously with the federal government. Housing was one resource in short supply. Officials considered a variety of options to shelter victims and first responders, and approached a number of cruise ship operators. According to Carnival Cruise Line's representatives, 
on wednesday august twenty fourth federal officials contacted the company regarding chartering ships carnival found this unusual given that the firm had never served as a federal contractor we were watching just the total devastation and we felt very strongly that it was a situation where we were in a position to help and we very much wanted to help stated terry thornton a carnival vice president the military sea lift command informed carnival the rfp was being issued carnival indicated it wanted to help and responded to the rfp thirteen ships were potentially available from carnival and others four ships ultimately met the rfp requirements which included a requirement for medical and pharmaceutical facilities three belonging to carnival carnival received the rfp at nine a m friday and the initial response was due two hours later at eleven a m carnival offered three ships and negotiated all day with best and final offers provided at nine p m carnival based its bid on projected cruise revenue for six months out and agreed it would reduce the final bill and provide a refund if after an internal audit by an independent accounting firm it was found carnival earned more than it would have in the cruise market to make the ships available carnival cancelled approximately one hundred thousand existing reservations for which travel agent fees still had to be paid carnival makes its profit from ticket sales and add-ons drinks shore excursions etc and not in the time charter business which is a comprehensive package of food beverages and activities in addition it incorporated taxes into its offer which will be refunded if it is determined it does not owe taxes under u s law despite these provisions numerous public officials and press reports have criticized the arrangement attention focused on the ships when fema revealed it intended to use them to house first responders at the time housing for first responders was in short supply and fema sought out a variety of options i'm not sure that everyone on this panel would have made the same choice that fema made but this was fema's choice as to how they wanted to house people and you've simply said if you want us to do this here's what the circumstances are and fema said that's okay with us and we accept that stated representative jefferson when appreciation was expressed by select committee members for carnival's assistance carnival officials replied thank you because honestly that's one of the few times we've really been thanked for the effort the intense public scrutiny could limit the willingness of private sector companies to offer assistance during future disasters several firms expressed the view that the challenges associated with emergency contracting may not be worth the trouble finally unfounded negative publicity harms company reputations public sector missions divert company assets from primary missions and could raise questions about whether a company was meeting its fiduciary duty to its shareholders given the important role the private sector played in all aspects of the response and recovery any loss of private sector involvement could be critical end of section forty nine